Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Ah, good morning, church family. Last Sunday in February, we can breathe a sigh of relief. Two more weeks today and next week for our winter teaching series, and then winter is over. Did you know that? Next Sunday, winter's over. Finish the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, if you would. We'll have the scripture up on screen, too, to try and help you out. Man, you title a sermon, Growing Old, and then you get all these old age jokes, like Alex talking about needing glasses to see the text on screen. Does anybody need the font bigger today? Nobody wants to raise their hand? Okay. Yeah, and then Steve mentioned the uh, definition of young, and Nicole poked fun at me back there. I guess I'm no longer young, so yeah, we're, we're feeling like we're in the spirit of talking about growing old. Growing old. Uh, as we approach the end of the book, Solomon calls our attention to youth and age. So let me ask a question. And I don't want this to be a question that fills you with shame and regret but if you could go back, what would you tell your younger self? Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Not, not to go back? <laughs> what would you tell your younger self? Buy Bitcoin. Don't take yourself so seriously. Don't, sorry, don't take the Leafs so seriously? Is that what you said? No. Okay. Sorry. Apologies. Follow the Lord sooner. Yeah. Uh, this is so much of what Doug Campbell talked about two weeks ago. We're going to end at a different bottom line for today. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 1. Cast your bread upon the water. For you will find it after many days. <laughs> Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. It sounds like di diversifying your portfolio, right? Verse three. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, does it make a sound? No, I'm just kidding. There it will lie, right? A little, a little windfall in your investments in the right direction. Verse four, he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Man, let me tell you, I've got some dairy farmers in my family. One of them has a custom harvesting business and everything is dependent on the weather. If it's gonna rain, man, the phone calls that come in for him to come and harvest, Got to make hay while the sun's shining, right? Verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes into the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Sounds like diversifying your investments, doesn't it? Will the perfect moment ever come? Anybody holding out for the perfect moment? 
You're watching the wind, you're watching the rain, you're watching the weather. Is now the right time? Should I do it now? And we wait and we wait. So much of life is outside of our control. We can predict the tide. We can predict the weather somewhat. They find it hard in Atlantic Canada. Uh, We can predict the wind, the rain. We can predict those things. But so much of life is totally outside of our control, isn't it? The curveballs, the freak accidents, the surprises that pop up along the way like we talked about last week. On that note, how should we spend our life? What should we be investing our life in? What should we be doing with our time? If life is full of unknowns and surprises, sometimes the floodwaters rise, sometimes the tree falls on the neighbor's mast of three, and the investment disappears overnight. So what should we invest in? John Maxwell is quoted for having said, when we're young, we spend our health to gain wealth. The funny thing being, when we're old, we spend our wealth to try and gain back our health. Isn't it an odd thing? So what should we be investing our life in? We tell young people stories like, Man, when I was your age, I used to lift telephone poles on my shoulder, and that's why I got this scoliosis going on in my spine, right? Or we used to eat sardines from the can that were soldered with lead. So make good, healthy food choices. Then we tell young people to save up for their future, their retirement. But we're referring to the pre-pandemic housing market when houses were actually affordable. Back when you could buy bacon, bread, eggs, and milk for $10. Do you remember those days? I think I got that exact shopping list the other day and it was 30-something. Telling the next generation to save money and make healthy choices is good. We should do that. I try to do that. But in an effort to secure good health, and secure good finances, do we miss the more important investments in life? Is that what life's all about? What about illness? What about premature death? What about that rich farmer who tore down his barns to build bigger to try and stock up for the rest of his life and said to his soul, and then God said, you fool. What about climate change? What about the threat of world war? What about young adults these days having to budget four times as much for their first home as Elsie and I did just 13 years ago? Planning, investment, preparing, these are such important conversations. We talked about this last week. I remember going to the Van Steeg's house for supper one night as Elsie and I were looking ahead at buying our first home. And the Van Steeg's are a family in New Brunswick who are like family away from family for us. We would go sit at their home. We were like one of the kids. And Mr. Van Steeg, who's an accountant, after supper, pushed his chair back and gave us an hour of financial advice at no charge for us, and we got a free meal too. That one hour of advice saved us years of grief, knowing a little better what an expert has to say about moving towards your first home. That was a huge help, huge help. But maybe in these conversations, in a spirit of help, we're actually hurting young people. Maybe 
we're rushing them. Doesn't that feel like the flip side of the coin from today's conversation about young people? Maybe our desire to help them focus on long-term goals of life actually causes them to miss what God is doing right here, right now, in their life. Did we miss verse 5? Look at verse 5. I can't preach that point any further. Verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Hey, before the budgeting conversation with kids, maybe we should pull them aside and just say, hey, did you know that before you were born, somehow, as God was intricately weaving you in your mother's womb, he took your spirit and placed it within you. And he created good works beforehand, before the foundation of the world, that you would walk in them. And he has plans and a future and a hope for you before you were even born. Do you realize that your life is just beginning, but before it even began, God was already working? Do you realize that? You're created on purpose for a purpose, not just someday when you grow up, but before you were ever born, God knew you. Look at verse seven. I wanna hang out on this verse. Initially, as I read through this passage, I passed over it like so many verses in the book of Ecclesiastes, but now it's grabbing my attention. Verse seven, light is sweet. And man, it is so pleasant at the end of February in Nova Scotia for the eyes to see the sun. Would you agree with me? I got a little video for you here of a sunrise. Uh, this is Seguatepeque, Honduras, and these little cabins are part of Sarah to lose the Bible camp. But I wish you could have sat with me each morning as the sun came up because I couldn't sleep. It wasn't because Curtis was snoring, but I couldn't sleep. And you can see the light break through and see the clouds rolling over the mountains. And the wild part about these mountains is you think that's the last mountain range. And then the next day, the sky's clear and you can see another mountain range. And the, the traffic is just constantly moving and the dogs barking and loud noises. And apparently fireworks are a big thing down there. It sounds like gunshots, but it's just fireworks going off. And they'd be going off in the middle of the early morning, just like that. And the light would break across the sky and the color. And as the sun peeked over those mountains, it would burn the fog. And eventually it would reach you and you could feel the sun's warmth. And you just sit there and you just take it in. You know what I'm talking about? What if we just took a moment just to look at the sun and just feel the sunlight and the warmth? Because light is sweet and it is really good for the eyes to see the sun. I picture a student and they're in the... They're in the library and they're furiously studying and they're reading books on campus and then God just taps their shoulder and says, hey, you, you want to know what life's all about? Just step outside for a moment. Just look up at the sun. Do you feel its warmth? 
like God tells Abraham. Look up at the stars, Abraham. You can't number them. Look at the sand of the seashore, Abraham. You don't know how many grains of sand are out there, but I'm going to multiply you as the stars of the heavens and the sand of the seashore. I don't know, maybe we need to slow down just for a moment and just appreciate our great God. A new day, new mercies, more grace, more opportunities. You know, I spend a lot of time prepping sermons, sitting at a desk, emails, writing, typing, seated, stationary, gaining weight. And the most inspiring moments when God works the most is when I just stop. And I just look out the window. And I wonder. And I think. And I dream. And I pray. And I sing. And I notice the birds. Today there was a deer that we were watching on the road over here and it ran out of the way of the car and it was exciting. And How often do we just stop and just, just take in what's going on around us instead of being so focused and busy in our own little world? Being productive. I'm so thankful for the good financial practice and healthy lifestyle that my parents have passed on to me, but I'm far more thankful for the little moments where they encouraged us to slow down. Take it all in. See the goodness of God. Out in nature, camping, hiking as a family. Josh, look at this waterfall. Each morning, family devotions. Craziness in the house. Sisters, one shower. I never got to shower. And then mom and dad... <laughs> press pause on the morning routine, we sit down in the living room, and whether we appreciated it or listened, we'd read a passage. We were often late for school, but we took time to stop and just slow down, read a passage. In the schedule of the week, growing up, sports, extracurriculars, youth group, balance, my parents made room to slow down. We sat around the supper table as a family. We talked about the day. Talked about what God was doing. Pointed the glory back to God. Verse 7. Light is sweet. It is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Maybe there's a double meaning here. Maybe there's a deeper layer. Maybe I'm taking this too far. I'm going to talk about a few layers as we get going here. Maybe this is Solomon pausing in his memoirs to acknowledge the sun. The phrase that's constantly going on is life under the sun. And he just takes a moment to say, man, light is sweet, isn't it? Isn't this so classic in the wisdom literature? Like the plot line seems to make sense and then it's just random over here. Light is sweet. It's almost like he takes a break from the desk. He looks out the window. He takes a break from all of the searching, all the questioning, all the research, all of the jaded cynicism. And he just sits back, looks up at the sky and he says, man, I wonder, is there more beyond the sun? Is there more to this life? He looks out over Jerusalem, the skyline, the Kidron Valley, the Mount of Olives. Maybe you can see sheep in the distance, the sun breaking through. Maybe there's snow on the peaks of those mountains in the distance. And he wonders, is there more beyond the sun? Look at verse 8. We've got to move on because we'll uh, get stuck under that verse. Verse 8. So if a person lives many years, 
Some of us have lived many years. Let him rejoice in them all. There's a lot within that all statement, isn't there? Haven't you experienced a lot in all the years of your life? Let him rejoice in them all. You know, I'm learning that God works in hard things. I was trying to share this with my life group, just spur of the moment on Thursday. I was thinking about James chapter one, where he says, count it all joy when you come into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, steadfastness, maturity, perfect. I'm learning that when the hard thing approaches, it's not any easier, but now I'm looking for where God's working in the hard thing. Rejoice in all the years. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Solomon continues this theme of sunlight, doesn't he? He adds another layer to the conversation. The dawn of life and the days of darkness. Sunrise and sunset. They're metaphors for the beginning and the ending of life. Youth is the dawn of life. Rejoice in age, but the days of darkness are coming, the valley of the shadow of death. As Solomon writes with this perspective of life under the sun, he's right. If there is no more, if this is all there is, then it's just darkness. And the sunlight doesn't reach six feet under. If this life is all there is, if there's nothing more, if it's just this physical, emotional reality, then that's it. Sunrise, sunset, the dawn of life are vanity. Solomon calls young people to rejoice in each year they get. Rejoice in your youth. Be cheerful. You're young. Haven't you ever wanted to say that? <laughs> you have your youth. Now's the time. But then he says, follow your heart and do what looks good in your own eyes. There's another classic of wisdom literature. How do we reconcile that thought with the rest of scripture? Isn't that a practical application of secular humanism? If there's nothing more than this, then just do what you want and have a good time. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But there's a further principle of youth that Solomon's laying out here, and this is what I want to get into. Light and dark, sunrise and sunset. Light is also a metaphor. Here's another layer, I apologize. If you're lost in the layers, just hop on board with this one. Light's a metaphor for knowledge and spiritual insight, for understanding. The Holy Spirit illuminates scripture. He helps us understand the truth of God's word. He brings the scripture that we memorized as kids to mind in the moment that we need words to speak. Last week I quoted Psalms where it says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Understanding, insight, direction, truth. Have you noticed how young people soak up new information like a sponge? You probably have, haven't you? Just take technology for instance. 
I don't consider myself a techie. Uh, all I know about technology is out of necessity or other people showing me, usually both. I have to do this, who can I ask? Now I kind of know how to do this. When we were down in Honduras, I had my phone on airplane mode because you're supposed to do that because I didn't have a phone plan. But with airplane mode on, I couldn't do certain things on my phone. And it was kind of frustrating. And then Alexis was there. Is Alexis up in Journey Kids? She's, not, she's up in Journey Kids, another Journey Kids worker. She says, give me your phone. So I hand her my phone. I've never had this experience before. I'm old now. I handed her my phone and she did some sort of like ninjutsu finger move and she brought up a whole new set of settings on my phone that I've never seen before. And I've had this phone for four and a half years. I felt old. But then on Friday, my dad asked me a tech question and I felt young again because he thinks I'm a techie. I'm trying to help their church association with some video editing work for a conference they have coming up. And his question was, how do I get the video from the camera to the computer? <laughs> Dad, when you watch this later this week, that was no way intended to be a conversation about your age or your competency, kind of. But you can take me out to lunch this week and we'll chat it through and it'll be all good. When you're young, you have youthful energy. You have good eyesight, right? I find I'm squinting more these days, but I don't want to give in. My son loves to read. His favorite thing right now is reference books. I don't know where he gets that from, but he loves numbers, he loves names, he loves lists of facts, and he memorizes these things. And then we'll be driving in the car and he'll have a piece of loose leaf and he'll just list off all of these facts for fun. <laughs> and so he and Jade the other day are in the playroom and I hear them kind of giggling and chuckling. It's like, what's going on in there? And I stick my head in and they made like 30 flags of different countries. And Reese knew the name of each one. And I'm like, who are you kids? <laughs> and then Jade soaks up stuff like a sponge, but totally different than Reese. She's more artistic and creative and she'll hear a song one time and she'll have the melody. She'll be in her room playing with Barbies and she'll be humming this tune that she's heard one time. She hears it the second time and she has a bunch of the lyrics already, just like that. I need to listen to songs like 15 times, then look up the lyric, then play them in my car and then forget about them and then come back to them until I can eventually sing along with them. Do you know what I'm saying? Am I the only one? <laughs> Kayla, you're not laughing at me, are you? <laughs> I tried a Spanish-speaking app. Kaylee knows about this one. She's way better at Spanish than I am. It's called Duolingo. And my son wanted to do it with me in preparation for the Honduras trip, and he caught on so fast. And it was so frustrating and so annoying because he would correct me and the app would correct me, and then I would feel doubly like a failure, so I'd have to wait until bedtime and then I could do it by myself so it wouldn't crush my self-confidence. Isn't that the way? How many of you call your kid or your grandkid or your great-grandkid when you can't get the TV to play the sound through the sound system? <laughs> yeah? Okay. Not the only one. There's such an opportunity when you're young to squeeze everything out of life. The heart and the eyes don't have to be for evil. Took me a while to realize this. I thought that was a negative statement about do whatever your heart tells you and do what your eyes see. 
Judges says there was no king in Israel and the people did whatever was right in their own eyes and it got them trapped over and over again like 12 times through the book. Listen, I know kids are sinners, just like adults are sinners. They're sinners by nature. They are little sinners straight from the womb. They don't have to be taught how to lie, how to cheat, how to steal, how to over-excessively use potty talk. It just comes naturally to them. They are sinners right from the womb. But the whole premise of the literary style and the authorship of Ecclesiastes point to that cynical, jaded character that Solomon is portraying. But kids don't really struggle with that initially, do they? Unless a child's been terribly burned by the world at an early age, they are rather open and honest. You could say innocent. So the desire of their heart and the sight of their eyes isn't necessarily for evil, as I mentioned earlier. It's often an honest passion to seek and understand the world around them. Fresh eyes, lots of questions. Why? 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 But why? First experiences. I remember Reese's first snow. We took him outside, put him in his onesie, and I put snow in his hand and in his face. I won't forget that. The first experience. He didn't like the snow in his face. <laughs> I've lost so much of my youth and energy in my 30s. Like, I don't know what 40 is going to be like or 50 or, or 60. <laughs> let, me, let me have my fun here, though. This is where my mind goes with old and young and the difference between the two. Theme parks, amusement parks. You know what I'm talking about? Theme parks as a kid, theme parks as an adult. I remember when I was a kid, getting together with all our family and PEI and going to Rainbow Valley in Cavendish. You remember Rainbow Valley? It's like just a park now. They sold all the stuff. Now it's shining waters across the street. But we would go as kids. And I remember we would travel there. There's the sign, pull in. And then it felt like dad would circle the parking lot like 20 times. Just park, dad. We'd get the car into the lot and you'd get out and you'd be ready to go. And then mom would say, no, you got to help carry the stuff out of the trunk. Get your arms full, Joshy boy. So I'd hold something, lawn chair, stroller, or something. And we would start making our way towards that uh, castle that you checked in at. And then these 13 cousins would have their arms up. I want my bracelet first. And then we would stand under that thing to see if we could do the big boy rides that year. And it took forever. Mom would have 17 coupons to save 35 cents before we got into Rainbow Valley. It just took forever and ever. And then we would finally get over the drawbridge. We were into Rainbow Valley. There's water slides. There's the monorail. There's those pedal boats that were shaped like swans. You remember this? There's those S-shaped fiberglass layback sun chairs that were so cool. There was that rope swinging bridge. My Uncle Terry would get on there, and I thought for sure all the kids were going to go flying. It was the best time ever. They had the swings and the carnival rides set up. So much stuff to do. You remember the haunted cave you could go in? in the dark? You been there before? Okay. <laughs> so we're crossing the bridge and it's like, time to go to the water slides. No, we got to go find a spot to put our stuff. They would even say it so slow. So we drag our stuff, put it over by these sun chairs. And they were like, okay, let's go. No, no, sunscreen. Then they put the mayonnaise on us. Okay, let's go. No, we got to talk about a plan. When are we coming back for lunch? Who are you going to go with? Make sure you stay with your older cousin, Kyle. Okay, can we go now? And then we'd sprint across to those water slides. We'd be the first one on that bullet flash speed water slide. It's not there anymore, but 
I've been to theme parks as a parent, and it's different. It's a different experience. It's like, how much is this going to cost? Did we bring enough snacks? Because <laughs> I like my snacks. Do we have the 17 coupons, Elsie, so that we can save 35 cents? Let's talk about lunch. Let's have a plan, because I like having a plan. And then we get to the water sides, and it's like, whoa, when was the last time these were inspected? Is that lifeguard old enough to pull me out of the pool? I don't think so. You know, it's just, it's different when you get older. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. That's a good reminder, actually. I appreciate that, Eugene. There's something about the opportunity presented by youth, energy, passion, excited eyes that gets lost the older you get. And probably experience more of that, won't I? Yes, we need to rejoice in each year that the Lord grants us, and there's something in each season that points to his goodness and his glory, but we need to be careful not to rush young people through their youth, through their wonderlust, through their energy, through their honest questions and excitement. We say things like, grow up, calm down. I'm going to say that five times before the day's over, I guarantee it. Hurry up, we've got to go. Stop asking so many questions. What do you want to be when you grow up? Someday, not right now. And I get that. I'm, I'm a parent of young kids. I get that that's all necessary, and we say those things constantly, and we need to say those things, and we need to teach our kids that someday, not yet, whole idea of life but when do we slow down and appreciate where they're at in life right now? When do we point out the things that that God's doing in their heart right now? Okay, I can't go any further with that thought. Next verse, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1. You might know this verse, it's a good one. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. I love this verse. We should get it on the wall of Journey Kids. We should talk about it with our families on the drive home. We should read it before we order from the 18-year-old barista at Starbucks. We should repeat it to ourselves before we drive past CEC and point out all of the fashion choices. Yeah? Yeah, that's true. Before we gripe about this next generation, how they're stuck on their phones, struggling mental health, preoccupied with random influencers and dance moves, Let's remember this verse. Here's the point I'm trying to build towards. And you might not like it. 
which is okay. It just means you'll think through it and formulate your own response, which is what we want you to do with all of this. You need to make your own decision. I can't make it for you. I don't know that we'd say this out loud, but I think, subconsciously, we tend to raise adults, not kids. I think many of us argue we should have our focus on where we want our kids to end up rather than where they're at. And we say things like, it's just a phase, it's just a stage, you'll get through it, you'll get through it, you'll get through it. We have our eye, our target, on that moment when they graduate. Work's done. When they head to college when they head to their first job, when they move out, when they get married, when they become an adult. We raise kids with adults in mind, adult life stages, adult goals. And maybe just maybe by focusing on our kids' future, we miss what God is doing in their present. I do that. I met with our financial advisor on Tuesday afternoon. I talked about my kids' RESP so that we're financially prepared, Lord willing, for when they go off to college, if they go off to college, university. But slowing down to have a spiritual conversation with my eight-year-old and my six-year-old may mean more for their eternity than some money for college. Our goal is not to raise a university-bound adult. It's not to raise a scholarship-achieving athlete. I don't think I need to worry about that. It's not even to raise an adult. Our goal is to disciple our kids. To teach them about how God created them. How God loves them. How sin separates them, but the death of Jesus reunites them, and the life of the Spirit is theirs through Christ. Now they can be on mission. You don't have to wait till you're an adult. You don't have to wait until you have an education or a career or finances or a license. You can tell your friends about Jesus through your words and your deeds right now. And you can do it in a way that I can't. Actually, if that's not our goal, if we tell our kids that someday when they get older, they can figure this stuff out for themselves, if we tell them because we don't want to influence their decision, I think that's the biggest lie straight from the devil. Parents, you influence everything your child does. You get right in there. We don't want to influence their decision. We want it to be their own. We want them to be older so there's no doubt. We want them to get all the answers and details so they can make the most logical and educated decision for their own life. Then we're actually missing a golden God-given opportunity. Let me tell you a little more about it. A survey cited by the International Bible Society indicates that 83%, I didn't get those grades in high school, that's pretty high, 83% of Christians make their first commitment to Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14. Many people serving as career cross-cultural missionaries have testified that they first felt God calling them to missionary service during that 4 to 14 age period. 
It's been titled the 4 to 14 window. Here's another survey, Barna Research Group. They indicate that American children age 5 to 13 have a 32% probability of accepting Christ. That's almost one in three. But youth or teens age 14 to 18 have only a 14% probability of doing so. That's less than half. But get this, unbelieving adults ages 19 and over, that's pretty broad, have just a 6% probability of becoming Christians. Some people find stats helpful. Sometimes they're used for scare tactics, and I don't want that to be the case. I don't want to scare you, but I do want to inform you. We've had a handful of adults make decisions for Jesus since Christmas. We celebrated news of a teenager making a decision for Jesus just a few weeks back. We want to praise God for that. We know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to acceptance, to repentance. But it's as if Solomon has observed this same phenomena, and he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, because the evil days are coming. And we're going to get to those evil days, but first, creator in the days of your youth. Jesus said, Matthew 19 and verse 14, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Why would he say that? Well, back to Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him if a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus said that. Those are heavy words. Become like children. Humble like children. Children are naturally curious. They're open. They're honest. They say the darndest things. They're inquisitive. They're searching. You see, we think this search of meaning in life is an adult phase. You know, you become a young adult, you're trying to figure yourself out, your independence, you travel the world, you go to college, you decide what you want to do in life, you're trying to find meaning, and then there's this midlife crisis where you try and figure out, is this what life has been all about? The kids move out and it's like, what is my purpose now? But kids have no pride to keep them from asking the honest questions right off the bat. They're searching right from the get-go. Look at verse 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Have you noticed that you're not as nimble as you once were? i got to be honest, I've tried this uh, workout program, P90X3, it's an old one, it's a pretty good program, video programs, just 30 minutes, I'm not trying to sell it, but one of the big benefits of doing it was I could stand on one leg and I could bend over and tie my shoes. <laughs> Jealous. In the, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, 
And the strong men are bent. I think of my great grandpa Cameron, the strongest guy that I've ever known. There's a crazy story about him carrying a refrigerator by himself out of the basement of an apartment building that just blows me away. And he had these big, meaty hands you'd shake as a little kid. And even in his latter days, he lived to be 98, I think it was, he could squeeze your hands so hard. And as a great-grandson, you wanted to make him proud, so you didn't let on that he was breaking your hand. But when he got up, he would be stooped over. He refused to use a cane. He would use a tool, a shovel or a rake, because that was, you know what I'm saying. And the grinders cease because they are few. I don't know, is that retirement? Those who look through the windows are dimmed. That's why we have a bird feeder now. The older you get, you just want to stay inside and look out the window, right? Verse 4. The doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, old people wake up early when the rooster crows. They shut their door early and go to bed. You notice that? Is that a generalization? I apologize. Verse 5. They are afraid also of what is high. No more ladders at a certain age. Terrors are in the way. I hear my grandmother saying, Joshy boy, pull your dinky cars out of the living room. Grampy's going to come through for dinner. Terrors along the way. Tripping hazards. The almond tree blossoms. Get this picture. This one made me laugh. The grasshopper drags itself along. What a picture. Can't you see a grasshopper with one stiff leg dragging itself along? Uh, I'm not going to say who I thought of when I read that. And desire fails. Sexual desire changes in old age. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered in the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. Out with the old, in with the new. Verse 7. The dust returns to the place where it was. The spirit returns to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. You know, old age is not for the faint of heart. It's some pretty tough stuff. And apparently it's coming, right, Eugene? You're telling me that? I got to get ready for this. <laughs> These are some beautiful pictures, aren't they? And I just think back to verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. I'm going to try and bring it to a close here. Do you, do you know, have you observed how when people get older, they tend to go into two categories. They're either like the happy, jolly, rosy-cheeked, grandparently type, or they're like the Mr. Wilson grumpy and crotchety and get off my yard type? Have you noticed that? Not going to say any more in that regard, but we tend to get more stuck in our ways, more cynical, more jaded, more stuck to our routine, less flexible. I'm way less spontaneous than I was in my 20s, even though I was not spontaneous then at all. But you've experienced this, right? I know what the world's like. I know what young people should do these days. And you get kind of stuck in your routine. Children are free. You watch. They're going to be running over the chairs later on after the service. They're going to be doing what they want in the cafe. Children say whatever's on their mind. Nothing holding them back. You see, there's, 
there's this opportunity that we have here to be very countercultural in Jesus' name. To prioritize the kids and the youth and the young adults in a culture that overlooks them, tries to push them to grow up and have adult conversations and what grade is sexual education now? We're trying to ramp up and speed and skip over the childhood and young adult phase in order to make citizens who do good in their community as adults because children, well, this is an opportunity for our church to be totally countercultural, to put the emphasis, to put the focus on kids and young families. You see, kind of subconsciously, we've adapted this as, as sort of our target audience, our target demographic as Faith Baptist Church. We have this Journey Kids program, we have young families, we have kids running around. It's not strict order and everybody dress up on Sunday. It feels like a family and we love that. We need to put the emphasis on this next generation because they're not just the church of tomorrow that I keep hearing, they're the church today. We need to work to that end, don't we, church family? Okay, I've got to end. Let's stand up. We'll pray for the food up there over shared lunch. Here's a little conversation starter for shared lunch. First of all, sit with somebody who's younger than you and ask them. Not what they want to be when they grow up, not what they're doing for school next year. Ask them. What's God doing in your life right now? Is that easy enough? We can do it. We can do it, can't we? Because like Steve said a number of weeks back, kids can be scary. He said that on the day for hope, didn't he? It can be scary to approach a young adult. You don't know what to say. Just ask them the question. They'll appreciate just being asked. Do it. We can do it. All right. Let's pray, church family. God, I want to thank you so much for my church family. Thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes, for Solomon, for his wisdom, for his openness and honesty in talking about his journey of cynicism and jadedness, trying to figure out what life is all about. God, thank you that kids are asking these questions. Thank you for their honesty, for their openness. Thank you for that childlike faith that Jesus pointed out to the disciples in the crowd that day. God, would you restore childlike faith in us? God, I pray that our church family would take this challenge seriously and they would go up there to shared lunch and sit down with a young person or they'd find a young person in their contact list this week and sit down with them and ask them what God's doing in their heart and life right now. God, thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for the young people in our church. Thank you for the old people in our church and everybody in between. God, we praise your name. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, church family.